They've been playing the game their entire life. From the playground. I promise to exercise and eat right. Don't forget 60 minutes of play a day, right? I'm playing the NFL. Yes, sir. I'm addressing number one. Maybe. To their high school. Let's hear it, gentlemen. Clear eyes, full hearts. Let's go play some football. Let's go. To the university. We have 95 players here, so accomplished as athletes in high school. We gave them full scholarships to the best football program in the country. Now, their lives are about to change forever. You become your mom's favorite player? Whoa. This is Locked On NFL, and this is the Locked On Podcast Network Mock Draft. Welcome to the 2020 Locked On NFL Mock Draft special. Brian Peacock here alongside former NFL scout Matt Williamson. We will take you through the first round plus in a network-wide mock draft. All 32 teams represented, even those without first-round picks. Hosts making picks for the teams they cover. Our friends from the college side of the network with profiles on each one of these prospects that get selected in the Locked On NFL Mock Draft Special, why they are considered worthy of first-round selections, and analysis from my co-host, Matt Williamson, as well as draft dudes Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, and the Locked On NFL Draft crew, Trevor Sikama and Ben Solak. If you're listening to this kickoff episode on a team-specific podcast, you can follow along all week, every pick, throughout round one on the Locked On NFL channel, teams are talking trades, so you may not know exactly where your team ends up selecting. We'll conclude this draft next Friday, checking in with those teams in round two who didn't select in the opening stanza, some of which might jump into round one before it's all finished, and recapping everything that went down all week long. Matt, I'm pumped. Are you ready to do this thing? I'm very ready to do this thing. This is a very cool event. I think people will enjoy it. We've had so many new subscribers since last year that didn't get to enjoy it. So you're in for a treat. You're in for a wild ride and a really well put together whole situation here starting right now. Absolutely. Yeah. And it was one of the most popular. It was the most popular show on the NFL side of the network last year. And I expect it to be even bigger and better. And the way things are right now in the world and wherever you are listening to this podcast, I hope you are well. And I hope this is something fun for you to listen to all week long. Matt, as the Cincinnati Bengals go on the clock with the opening selection in the Locked On NFL mock draft, you've been through this. What are teams doing in preparation the final days and minutes leading up to the first pick for those specific teams? Well, this year, who the heck knows? I mean, <laughs> I'm sure that there's things like, you know, the, the, the electronics or the, or the IT people are coming to everyone's homes to make sure everything works, checking, double-checking, doing all that kind of stuff. We mentioned before, you know, maybe you could run mock drafts in terms of let's try to just do a, a whole walkthrough basically of how this thing's going to work. If we're going to make a trade, who's in charge of calling this team, et cetera, et cetera. But honestly, in olden, in the olden days and the not 2020 draft, most of the hay is in the barn really a day or two before the draft. I mean, you might be calling, agents of your favorite people to make sure that prospects didn't fall down the stairs or that knee that you're worried about isn't <laughs> flaring up. But for the most part, things should be done a couple days before the draft. Let's check in with some of our analysts here on the network. We have a pair of NFL draft shows, draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino. 
It's Joe Marino and Kyle Krabs of the Draft Dudes podcast. And let me just tell you, as a couple of Draft Dudes, we are really excited for this Locked On Podcast Network draft simulation where each host is going to make the picks for their team. And uh, I know it's not the real thing, but it's pretty damn close. And this draft promises to be very exciting with all the dynamics between the teams with multiple first-round picks and all the quarterbacks. So, Kyle, uh, I'm sure you're just as excited as I am. Yeah, the big mystery here is, from the quarterback perspective, how many can we get to go early? And then the other fascinating subplot is, when does the offensive tackle run start, and how fast does it go? Because there's generally considered to be four top offensive tackles. There's generally considered to be three top quarterbacks. Maybe a fourth with Jordan Love if he sneaks in there remains to be seen. And the order of all seven of those players who are feasibly top 12 talents coming off the board is going to be a really interesting scenario to see how it actually plays out here. I think just as interesting as the offensive tackle discussion is the wide receiver. Everybody knows this is a really deep and talented crop of receivers, but there's really exciting guys at the top of the board. You know, could we see six, seven, eight guys go off the board in the first round? When does that run start? And uh, who are those late first round guys that uh, teams that, you know, like the Packers or or like the Saints and Eagles and, and Vikings? Who do they get if they are uh, left kind of picking the later half of those top tier pro- prospects? So uh, offensive tackles, quarterbacks, wide receivers, the NFL is a passing league. And you can tell that this um, this draft is going to really help these offenses be more dynamic. Yeah, it's a deep class, and we're going to have a lot of opportunities to see players that in a typical class are probably off the board by 20. They might be lingering here in the late first round, early second round. So lots to look forward to, lots to get into. Looking forward to see how these teams start their drafts. Hey, everybody, Trevor Sykema and Benjamin Solak from the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast here with you. Excited to go on this journey of the Locked On NFL Mock Draft Special. Ben, this is going to be a lot of fun. There's so many things that could happen in this mock draft. What are you looking forward to most? Yeah, it's always nice when you're able to get 32 guys, each of whom knows their team as well as the host in the Locked On Podcast Network do, and they can control for their pick. And then you have the freedom for things like trade negotiations as the pick comes off the board. You have the ability for surprises as each individual analyst focuses on their guys. I think number one, we're not. It's not going to be a typical mock. It's not going to be like what we no, see definitely when not. only one person controls all 32 teams. There's going to be a lot more aggressive moves. So I expect to see big trade ups. I expect to see surprising picks, yep. and that's that's the reality with these. When you're controlling just that one team, you go and get your guy. That's what we see in the league. I guess that's what we'll be seeing in this mock as well. I'm really interested to see how the offensive tackles go here in the first round because. It's just the possibilities are endless. We saw that in our guest mock draft series that we're doing on our podcast. But, I mean, what other positions are are big ones? Quarterback, wide receiver, probably, right? Well, I think, yeah, I think that when you're making these sorts of picks and it's it's catered to your audience for your podcast, you're tempted sometimes to go for those sexier positions. And the sexy position in this draft is undoubtedly wide receiver. So to me, I'm really interested to see. We know the big three will come off the board and Jerry Judy, CeeDee Lamb, and Henry Ruggs. Who's wide receiver four? Who's wide receiver five? And just how many can we fit in this first round? Ooh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Ben and I are going to be back with you recapping a lot of these picks throughout the mock draft. I'm very excited, so let's get it started. Okay, Matt, we're here. The Cincinnati Bengals are on the clock. Is there any doubt what 
the Bengals should do here. They earned the right through their poor play in the 2019 season to be drafting number one overall on everybody's list. It seems to be the same name, the same prospect that should go first overall. If their phone is ringing, should they even be answering it or do they know who the pick will be with the first overall selection in this draft? I mean, you answer it, and if someone offers you a Godfather-like offer, you consider it, and you still might not even say yes. I mean, I think Burrow is the super prospect. He would go first in almost every draft, you know, nine out of ten years. That's a gift, and the Bengals need it. He's an Ohio guy. They need to sell tickets. They need to sell jerseys. The offense that he falls into isn't in that bad a shape as first overall selections go. So I think it's kind of too good to be true. All right. With that, this draft is underway. Let's go to the hosts of Locked on Bengals and get the pick for Cincinnati, Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. With the first overall pick in the 2020 NFL draft, the Cincinnati Bengals easily and without second thought select Joe Burrow. In fact, Joe, we received no calls in the war room for the number one pick. I guess everyone just knows not to ask. And I don't think we would have considered any offers anyway. So we make this pick. This pick has really been made since maybe late December when the Bengals lost to the Miami Dolphins in week 16 of the regular season and clinched their first overall pick. Joe Burrow went on a tear in the playoffs after that. And the Bengals will finally get a franchise quarterback. First time they've drafted number one since 2003 when they drafted Carson Palmer out of USC. They're in that position again. The roster has been turned over on the defensive side through free agency. And I think they're looking at this squarely of saying our Super Bowl window opens again if we draft Joe Burrow number one in 2020. That's right. The Bengals don't just spend money to spend money. This is a strategic injection of funds into the defense to make themselves competitive while they have Joe Burrow on his rookie deal for five years. He's, of course, expected to come in and be a day one starter in Cincinnati. Andy Dalton is still on the roster, but will not be on the roster by the time training camp comes around. He might not even be on the roster by the time the draft is finished. We are looking openly to trade Andy Dalton for whatever assets we can recover. And if that doesn't work out, he'll be cut before Joe Burrow shows up for rookie camp or for the first offseason activity that we're allowed to hold with these rookies this summer. Joe, how much better does Joe Burrow make this team? Well, the quarterback is the most important position. And I think we're looking at a guy coming off a historic college football season that many have said is the best passing performance throughout a whole season in the history of college football. What does he do better than Andy Dalton? Andy Dalton has been the Mendoza line for starting quarterbacks in the league for a long time. And I feel like all of the skills you look for typically when you look at college quarterbacks, usually they are the big guys with the strong arms going near the top. And you say, can they function in the pocket? Do they have accuracy? How's their IQ? How's their processing? Uh, How do they do off script? All the questions you normally go into tape asking with Joe Burrow, those are all the answers you have with him based on tape and based on what he showed this past year. All of those things are not in question. He has them in spades. It's the arm strength, right? That's the only area you really question. And I would say it's very similar to Andy Dalton. So it should be an upgrade in almost every area of quarterbacking other than that. And that's okay because when you look at the best quarterbacks in the league over the last 20 25 years, whether it's Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or Drew Brees, they all had those other features in their game without having a cannon for an arm. 
Simply put, Joe Burrow is the most influential recruit in LSU football history. In leading the Tigers to the 2019 National Championship, Burrow was fantastic, shattering school records and setting national marks that may not be touched. 5,671 yards and 60 touchdown passes for Burrow while completing 76% of his passes. His arm strength won't wow you, but Joe Burrow makes up for it everywhere else. His decision-making is elite, just six interceptions on the 2019 season. He's the son of a coach and a film room junkie. There's a story about LSU beating Alabama, getting back to Tus- from Tuscaloosa to Baton Rouge, and when Joe Brady, the passing game coordinator, got to LSU football ops that night to go get the cut-ups of the film, Burrow had already beaten him there. Burrow has very underrated athleticism. Not only was he a high school quarterback, he was also a high school basketball player. And his ability to move the chains with his feet is something that many have overlooked throughout this process. Burrow is a fierce competitor whose teammates love him, who rises in the biggest moments. Should Joe Burrow stay healthy, he will have a long, prosperous NFL career as a franchise quarterback. This is Matt Moscona of Locked on LSU, your source for LSU and SEC content every day. All right, Matt, there's the pick. Joe Burrow goes number one overall to the Cincinnati Bengals, and there's a lot to like about Joe Burrow. I think maybe if you're nitpicking, you can find some knocks here and there about arm strength, which in some cases is completely overrated, and uh, I I like what was said by many smart NFL people in the past that the quarterback position isn't so much played with your arm once you get to the NFL level. It's played from the neck up, and I think that's where Joe Burrow really shines. Yeah, absolutely, and he he is a good athlete. He has a remarkable head and poise and confidence for the game, processing, accuracy. He does not have a power arm, and that worries me a little bit considering the area of the country he's going to when it's sleeting and windy and you know in the NFC North and late in the year. We'll see how he deals with that, but that by no means would slow me down from making such a pick. He's a tremendous prospect. More Locked On NFL Draft special coming up. The Washington Redskins are now on the clock with the second selection. We'll be right back. The 2020 Locked On NFL Mock Draft special. The first pick is in the books. Joe Burrow, quarterback from LSU to the Cincinnati Bengals. The Washington Redskins are now officially on the clock. No surprises with the first pick in the draft. I think a lot of folks have mocked uh, the top two picks really very similar throughout this entire process. There are some stud defensive players left on the board and some quarterbacks that I don't think should be overlooked here in the second spot, Matt. I mean, consensus is, boy, Chase Young's a super-duper prospect, and he absolutely is, and he plays a premium position. So that's the... The, the name that's been mocked a million times all over the internet, and it should be. But you listen, you know, or do we love Haskins? I mean, I think, you know, Mr. Snyder loves Haskins, so you're probably going to love him at least for this year and go from there. Um, but the Redskins are in a good, good, good situation here. Let's go to the Washington War Room, and the pick is in. Let's find out who the Redskins select with the second pick in the Locked On NFL mock draft. 
I'm Chris Russell. I'm picking Chase Young at number two overall for the Washington Redskins. Who is Chase Young? Ohio State defensive end, edge pass rusher. A young man who comes in with the total package. Nearly six foot five, 265 pounds. Can anchor against the run. Can absolutely light it up off the edge. Will he start right away? That I don't know because the Redskins are actually fortunate to have a really good front seven, not only a good front defensive line, but also at Chase Young's projected position off the defensive end in the 4-3 in the edge spot, you have Ryan Kerrigan, you have Ryan Anderson, you have last year's first-round pick, Montez Sweat. So I don't know if Chase Young is going to be on the field the first snap of 2020. He might be. He might be that good that the Redskins just can't wait and they just need that freaky, twitchy explosion that he offers. But because of what they have around him, I'm envisioning, envisioning, him being worked a little slower into the whole in, into the the situation where maybe they use him in just a nickel and a third down roll initially until he gets his feet wet in game action. Will he help the Redskins compete this season? Look, yes, I think he will. By himself, no, but that's the whole point. He should make everyone else better. So, yes, I think he helps the Redskins compete this season. Does he make them a Super Bowl team? No. Playoff team, maybe. Better than 500 contender, maybe, probably, if other things break right, if they stay healthier, if Dwayne Haskins takes that year one to year two leap. Absolutely. No doubt about it. When you look at Chase Young in terms of his productivity for this season, I would probably say if the Redskins could get eight to 10 sacks and if he could anchor against the run and help them in an area that they have struggled with, especially in non-traditional running situations, then yeah, absolutely. That's enough productivity, especially if he gets close to double digits in terms of sacks. In terms of comparing him to a specific player, people do this all the time. I don't. Um, The impact that the Redskins need is a guy that Jack Del Rio is more than familiar with, and that is the type of impact Von Miller made as the number two overall pick for the Denver Broncos back in 2013. And because the Redskins stayed at number two and they got arguably the number one player on the board, this is more than enough value uh, at number two, even though they're tempted, of course, to make a trade to move down to get even more picks. This is proper value for the Washington Redskins. Chase Young, the Ohio State University defensive end. Young lived up to the hype in 2019 in his junior season for the Buckeyes, winning Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year and capping off his junior campaign as a finalist for the Heisman Trophy. The 6'5", 265-pound edge rusher led the nation last season with 16.5 sacks and six forced fumbles. Young also registered 21 tackles for loss, good for fourth best in the entire country. The Maryland native's stellar junior season was highlighted at the end of October in a huge top 10 matchup against Wisconsin. The Buckeye star recorded a season-high four sacks against the Badgers in a dominant performance. Young checks a whole lot of boxes as he is widely seen as one of, if not the top overall prospect for this year's NFL draft. He's a rare physical specimen with a lean muscular build that can strike fear in any quarterback. 
Young's pass rushing skill is elite already, but he is also stellar against the run as a physical, powerful run stopper. He sets the edge very well and processes run packages quickly. The former Buckeyes' weaknesses are relatively minor, but at times he can do a better job with his pad level at the line of scrimmage and may need to develop a few more go-to moves to become less predictable at the next level. Young is the prototype built to excel in a role as the end in a 4-3 defensive scheme in the NFL. With his physical tools, there's very few limitations, and Young should be ready to make an instant impact as a pro. This is Ben Stevens of Locked On Big Ten, your source for Big Ten and college sports content every day. Chase Young, another Ohio State pass rusher. The Buckeyes are just cranking out pass rushers. The Bosa brothers we've seen recently. How does Chase Young stack up to the Bosa's? I mean, just ridiculous athlete, and he's got production to match. Yeah, I mean, he's the prototype. I mean, I really have a hard time coming up with true negatives on the guy. He's Julius Peppers-like coming into the league. And I know we said some of these things about Garrett and the Bosa's and all that, but I would take Young over all them at this stage of their you know, entering the league, high impact player. I have to think that in Vegas immediately, he's the odds on favor to be defensive rookie of the year. And we just saw it last year with the rookie of the year, Nick Bosa. And uh, man, what a dynamic tandem they were in college together. Chase Young got to be the headliner by himself as Bosa went to the NFL and headlined for the 49ers pass rush. And he overshadowed uh, one of the best, if not the best, defensive line in the NFL with how good he was. So uh, Chase Young, I think, on that same path and and physically even more impressive than the Bosa's might have a little bit more work to do technically, but I think he's the complete package and there's no way you can go wrong picking that type of physical specimen and that kind of player this high in the draft that can impact every position on the defensive side of the ball because of how well he plays and affects the opposing team's quarterback. Speaking of quarterbacks, the Detroit Lions are now on the clock with the third selection in the Locked On NFL Mock Draft Special, and I know there have been phone calls, and I know the Lions have been listening to phone calls, and there has been some speculation that this could be a spot that the Lions could accept a trade, and a team could be coming up maybe for a quarterback, or maybe the Lions themselves say, you know what, we don't want to move because maybe we want to draft a quarterback. And I think you have to listen. But Stafford played so well last year, and I know that there's back issues. This organization doesn't exactly think like everybody else, and I don't really mean that as a compliment. Um, <laughs> but I think you you roll with Stafford. You try to build in your likeness the best you can and get people that fit your system. There's a lot of talent here on the board. I would listen to move down a handful of spots at most, but I'm not getting too far out of three if people are calling. As the clock winds down here, it looks like there is not going to be trade action with the number three pick. So let's go to the Lions War Room and find out who the selection is for Detroit. This is a no-brainer for the Lions at number three, drafting Jeffrey Okuda from Ohio State. A need that is filled immensely by General Manager Bob Quinn 100%. When you take a look at the Detroit Lions and what their problems were in 2019, it was pretty simple. 
and that was getting to the passer, but also stopping the pass. The Lions' defense ranked 30th in the NFL last year and also 29th against the pass. They could not stop people when they needed to get stops. The offense certainly will get better next year with the addition of Matthew Stafford being healthy once again. And also, you got to think that the Lions' offensive line will improve. And again, it's another year of this system when it comes to the running game under offensive coordinator in year two, Daryl Bevel. But back to the choice, Okuda. Will he start right away? Absolutely. The Lions at cornerback right now say goodbye to Darius Slay, trading him, of course, their best corner and cover guy, two-time pro bowler the last two years, to the Eagles for a third and fifth round pick. In his stead will be Desmond Trufant, who comes over from the Falcons on a two-year, $21 million deal. But on the opposite side, it is wide open. And that is why I believe Okuda is going to be the choice for the Lions at number three. He's a do-it-all cornerback out of Ohio State, played so much man in college. And if you know anything about Matt Patricia, you know he's a man coverage type of head coach and really defensive coordinator. He calls the shots. Okuda at 6-1. 200 pounds, unanimous All-American, first-team All-Big Ten, USA Today All-American, and a guy after his junior season showed just how dominant he could be, and it was a no-brainer that he would head to the NFL, and he should really, really help the Lions in that in that number three spot. There's a lot of talk about Bob Quinn and, 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 and what the Lions general manager will do and will he trade back, but we feel like Okuda's going to be the pick at three because it's, just, it's safe it's what Quinn has done, and it fills a huge need. Trufant on one side, Okuda on the other, and Justin Coleman in the slot. The Lions uh, deploy a lot of three cornerback looks. Coleman is a slot corner, was given a lot of money last offseason, will be back for another year, but it's that opposite side of Trufant where they really need to fill that need. They had Rashawn Melvin last year, and others drafted Amani Oruare last year in the fifth round. He played a little bit there. Lions also have Mike Ford, recently signed Daryl Roberts from the Jets, have added Tony McRae from the Bengals, but none of those guys are the type of shutdown guy on the opposite side of Trufant on the outside that Jeffrey Okuda is. As far as competing next season and how this helps, it's immense. The Lions must stop the pass. They're in a division with some very good quarterbacks and very good offenses that lit them up last year. Kirk Cousins with the Vikings had his way with the Lions. Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, same thing. You'll see those teams twice a year. They need Okuda. He makes them better. Um, Does Okuda make the Lions a Super Bowl or playoff contender? That remains to be seen. The Lions have put out an edict to their coaching staff and to their general manager that they want to be playing meaningful games in December. With that added playoff uh, spot now added in the NFC, certainly Okuda can help them. They still need an edge. And if a guy like Chase Young is on the board at three, that's still a possibility. But I think this year Jeffrey Okuda plays, plays a lot for the Lions, and is a big-time player at number three. Is reminding some people of the legendary cornerback Mike Haynes in terms of length, the ability to get down the field and be long and strong and, and stop big receivers. So Jeffrey Okuda, the choice for the Lions at number three. Jeff Okuda, the Ohio State University cornerback. Since 1999, the Buckeyes have had 10 defensive backs drafted in the first round. No other school has had more than five during that same span. Jeff Okuda is very likely to add his name to that list, especially after his outstanding 2019 season that vaulted him to the top of many teams' draft boards. The native of Grand Prairie, Texas, was a unanimous first-team All-American selection and first-team All-Big Ten selection after leading Ohio State with three interceptions and nine pass breakups in 2019. Arguably one of the best games of his college career came in prime time under the lights against Nebraska last year when Okuda picked off two passes against the Huskers. 
The 6'1", 200-pound corner has left draft experts all over marveled with his skills. Okuda has the size, length, and foot quickness to press receivers at the line and also has the speed to quickly close catch windows and eliminate yards after the catch. He can quickly excel in either man or zone coverage as he rarely gets beat over the top and does an excellent job baiting quarterbacks into risky throws. Although he is not afraid of contact, his tackling is an area he can improve as he sets his sights on the next level. But overall, Akuda's physical and character traits make him a dream for any NFL GM or head coach. This is Ben Stevens of Locked On Big Ten, your source for Big Ten and college sports content every day. Another pick that does not buck trends, Matt, for what we've seen in most mock drafts and the way most folks seem to think that this is going to go down top three. We had Burrow number one overall, Chase Young two to Washington, and now cornerback Jeffrey Okuda from Ohio State. Back-to-back Ohio State defenders, Okuda goes to the Lions at pick three. Yeah, and, and Young overshadows a couple of these unbelievable prospects on the defensive side of the ball that are going to go really early in this draft. And his teammates, one of them. I mean, Akuda is a prototype. He really isn't much off of Chase Young in terms of the level of prospect he truly is. The Lions are a heavy man coverage team in the Patriot-like manner. They traded Slay. They brought in Chufant. So now that they have their young number one, they should be really good at the corner position. Paid Coleman a year ago. I think this was the obvious pick. If you're going to stick at three, you take Akuda. Akuda makes just too much sense there. And I know there's a lot of debate out there about what's more impactful, what's more important for a defense to have a pass rush or to have the cover guys. And there is some arguments that Okuda should maybe even be the pick over Chase Young because the cornerback positions may be more important. Maybe that makes a consistent year after year impact more so than a pass rush. Where do you fall in that cornerback versus defensive end, cover guy versus pass rush argument? I mean, our listeners know that I'm as big into analytics as I can be, and I respect them a great deal. I use them as a as a major tool with my evaluations and my job overall. And analytics tell you coverage is more important than pass rush. You can't beat, beat that out of me, though. I mean, I'm still a build with the big guys type of type of guy. Maybe I'm just too old. I do think being able to stop the run has some value. I know it's not you know nearly as important as stopping the pass, but you have pass rushers hitting quarterbacks and the human element of being afraid of LT coming off your you know the backside is very real and I am more of a build with big people than cover people but I understand it maybe I'll change my tune after more data and it's more driven into my head but I would take Young over Akuda and I think the Lions would too if, if by chance two quarterbacks on first overall they would sprint to the podium and take Chase Young yeah I think you're right and I think that's how the NFL people see it as well and the way I look at it is, is look, I mean, it's important. Obviously, the quarterback position is the most important in, in maybe all of sports. And then you've got to protect your quarterback. So you need an offensive line, particularly those blindside protectors off the edge, blocking those uh, edge defenders and those defensive ends and guys like Chase Young. And then on the defensive side of the ball, it's, you know, it's 1A, 1B, it's 1 and 2, it's edge rushers and it's cornerback. But I, I tend to side with pass rush 
as well. And the way I look at it is an offense gets to decide where they go with the ball, and you can avoid, if you have a shutdown corner on one side, you can avoid the good corner and just throw to the other side all day long. But if there's a pass rusher that's affecting your quarterback, he affects everybody on the field on defense, makes life easier. So if you can get after the quarterback or you make the offense use more assets to block you, you're ahead in the game. So I'm still going pass rush over cover, guys. I agree with you. And I almost look at defensive backs this day and age because there's so few true shutdown corners. I almost look at the four defensive backs in base plus the nickel corner. Those five players, I almost look at like a five-man offensive line. You just want really sound play with all five positions so you don't have that one leaky spot. Just like an offensive line, if you have one leaky spot, that's going to get your quarterback killed. If you have one leaky spot in the secondary, opposing teams are just going to attack that. Yeah, I think that's a good way of looking at it too is it might be better to have five B-minus players than an A and a D and a couple B-minus players. You know what I mean? That's absolutely right. We go to pick number four overall in the Locked On NFL Mock Draft special. The New York Giants are on the clock. Still no trades yet in this mock. I know phones are on fire right now in, in certain war rooms here. Matt, how do you see this selection for the New York Giants? You see a lot of offensive tackles go here. They have a huge need there, but there are some blue chip defenders that are still on the board. How do you pass those guys up? Yeah, I think this is a dilemma for the Giants, and I bet there's a lot of varied thoughts on it. Can you take your tackle of choice and make Daniel Jones' life a lot easier, or do you take a freak like Isaiah Simmons and really boost her a weak position too? Both positions of need. The analytics folks would always say take the tackle, but I also think linebackers that you know affect the passing game like Simmons sets up to do is very, very important. And we don't really have the the analytics behind that yet, you know, the elite guys at that position. So I think the Giants are in a tough spot here, and I wouldn't be critical in either direction. Yeah, you know, and, and safeties probably have more value now than they ever have because of the same reason that I talked about before, where you need to be sound everywhere. And and offenses spread things out and they will attack you and teams are throwing more than they ever have. So you have to be able to cover everywhere on the field, and that even includes linebackers now. We're seeing lighter, more coverage-heavy linebackers that can line up against running backs, that can line up in the slot, that can line up against pass-catching tight ends. So both of those positions are very important. I could see the Giants go any way here, but Matt, it will not actually be the New York Giants selecting here. We have a trade now. A trade has been consummated. The Los Angeles Chargers originally picking at number six, have moved up with the New York Giants. The Los Angeles Chargers are now on the clock. They will trade number six overall to New York, along with number 37 overall, which is their pick in round two, and a 2021 third round pick. So uh, a nice little addition for the New York Giants to add a few picks, and now we have the Los Angeles Chargers on the clock. It's got to be for a quarterback, right? I would assume so. So from a Giants perspective, you just got a free pick and maybe they'll make that decision tackle versus Simmons for you, but probably not. You'll probably get your your cream, your, your pick of the crop and be in the exact same shoes you were two picks ago. So kudos to you. You grab another pick. But the Chargers, assuming they go up to get their quarterback, Herbert, or probably more likely Tua, 
it, it all adds up then. You know, I mean, I've been really critical saying the Chargers should be the team to get Winston or Newton. They are much better than people think. They're loaded with talent. But now if you go to a new stadium, hard knocks, sell two of jerseys or Herbert jerseys, I mean, you have a face, the guy on the billboard, that would go a long way. And even if two is not ready all year and he does a Mahomes basically redshirt year, Tyrod can keep the ship moving. And the pick is in. Let's find out who the Chargers select. Daniel Wade standing by in the Locked On Chargers war room with pick four in the Locked On NFL mock draft. With the fourth pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Chargers are selecting Alabama quarterback Tua Tagovailoa. We are ecstatic to make this pick because Tua has been one of, if not the most prolific quarterbacks in college football over the last two seasons, winning the Maxwell Award and Walter Camp Player of the Year Award, as well as being an All-American in 2018. And in only nine games last season, he still threw for 33 touchdowns while completing 71.4% of his passes. To make this pick, we had to exchange first round picks with the New York Giants, as well as sending them the 37th overall pick in this draft and a third round pick in 2021. By making this move, we feel like we are getting the quarterback that is going to be the face of the franchise, which is something we were not sure about with Justin Herbert. We have a substantially different grade for Tua Tagovailoa over Justin Herbert. So by making this move, we feel like we have gotten our quarterback to follow in the footsteps of Phillip Rivers. Tua fits well with what we want to do offensively, having a mobile quarterback moving to more of a zone running scheme, which is something that was a little bit harder with Phillip Rivers. And if I had to compare him to a player, it would be tough. But I would say the two players he reminds me of the most are Russell Wilson and Drew Brees. Like Brees, he has really good anticipation and pinpoint accuracy on short and intermediate routes, while also having the escapability and the ability to launch long towering deep balls reminiscent of Russell Wilson. When we made the trade, the biggest goal we had was to keep our 2021 first round pick, but make it enticing enough to keep the Giants from reaching out to the Dolphins to look for a better deal because we truly believe that the Miami Dolphins would have selected to uh, with the fifth overall pick and we were surprised the Dolphins stood pat and we felt that it was worth it to move up ahead of the Dolphins to get the guy we believe they would have taken into a had we stayed at six, Justin Herbert would have been on the table as well as one of the top offensive tackles. We have very high grades on Jedrick Wills and Makai Becton as well and could have potentially thought of Isaiah Simmons if we were to really go best player available. This is obviously a risky pick because with Tua, he had this severe ankle injury in 2018 and he ended his season in 2019 with a dislocated hip which has given many teams a lot of pause. But with all of the rave medical reviews that we have seen come out, as well as talking with our own team doctors, we have decided that the risk was worth it to go for a guy we don't believe would even be there had he not had those injuries. Quarterback play is as important in the league now as it's ever been, and we believe Tua can be an elite player and potentially lead this team to its first Super Bowl. This will also help us for the next five seasons because we know we have a cheap player at the league's most expensive position, and be able to extend some of our young stars like Derwin James, Joey Bosa, and Keenan Allen and pay for a strong offensive line. Overall, we have had Tua as our top target throughout the entire process, and we landed our guy without seriously mortgaging our future. Tua Tungvaluwa, quarterback, the University of Alabama. An all-time fan favorite in Tuscaloosa, 
Tungo Bailo will be an incredible asset to his new team. Listed at 6 feet, 217 pounds, this junior southpaw is talented yet coachable, confident yet humble, serious about the game of football yet fun-loving. Tungo Vailoa seems destined for greatness after a record-shattering career at Alabama. The one knock on the championship winning quarterback will be that he is prone to injury. However, if he can stay upright, the sky's the limit for this Hawaiian native. There are no character concerns at all with Tungo Vailoa, and he is a very family-oriented young man. For his career, Tungo Vailoa threw for 7,442 yards along with 87 touchdowns. Both of those are University of Alabama records. He also rushed for nine other touchdowns. All of this was accomplished in only 32 total games. He won one national championship very famously against Georgia. He also won two SEC championships as a member of the Alabama Crimson Tide. You can check out Jimmy Stein and me, Luke Robinson, on Locked On Bama to find out about all the other Alabama NFL draft prospects. And it was Tua, the Chargers wanting to jump, the Miami Dolphins sitting at pick five. They go get their quarterback of the future. That is Tua Tagovailoa out of Alabama. Do you think that the injury hurt Tua in this? Do you think Tua could have been maybe even the number one overall pick over Joe Burrow if he wasn't injured? And do you think it was a factor in the Miami Dolphins sitting at five saying, we think we have an idea of who's going to be here and it's not worth us moving up and they allow a team like the Chargers to go up in front of them and draft Tua. Well, it certainly couldn't have helped. I mean, just lack of knowledge, lack of getting your hands on them, both medically and don't you think the Dolphins or whomever would have, or since he even would have loved to have Tua in their building for a day on a visit and spend a, a lot of time with them, eat lunch with them, you know, joke and hang out and downtime and really get to know the young man. If you're going to make someone the face of your franchise, it would sure be nice to have those advantages that they're so used to having. So it's hard to say. I mean, could he cha- have challenged Burrow? That seems a little steep. I mean, I, watching them both on tape, I would clearly rather have Burrow. But two is clearly number two as well. Which is something because Tua was the guy. It was remember it was Tank for Tua. It was the Miami Dolphins who have been connected sure. to Tua for a year now, and he was supposed to be the guy. He got hurt. He opened the door, and then once Joe Burrow had that crack in the door, I mean, he just took his boots and kicked that open. And I don't think there's any doubt Joe Burrow. I, there's a little doubt. I think most teams would still have Joe Burrow number one overall as he went in this draft. But now Tua comes off the board at number four overall. Let's go to the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, to get their thoughts on the trade and the first four selections in this mock draft. Massive domino here on the Locked On Network 2020 mock draft. Joe, the Los Angeles Chargers have jumped the Miami Dolphins to draft Alabama quarterback Tua Tungovalo. Yeah, so they, they move from six to four. And they give up six thirty-seven and a twenty twenty third round pick, which you know I feel like from a compensation perspective, that's not a ton to move up for a quarterback. And if two is your guy, you got to go get him. And obviously, when you think about the fit in Los Angeles with uh, what they want to do offensively with Anthony Lynn, they they really do appreciate having that mobile quarterback, a guy that can win off script. And they get that type of player in Tua. Obviously, the injury concerns were of none <laughs> to, to the Chargers GM here. 
and uh, they go get their guy. Obviously, the the Philip Rivers era is now behind us in L.A. and the new face of the franchise to a tongue of Iowa. Yeah, this is a move that was unexpected for a number of reasons, also because the Giants and general manager Dave Gettleman rarely ever trade back. So for them to get to terms here and and pick up an extra second round pick and a 2023rd uh, helps the Giants kind of restockpile some picks. So that perspective, and let's be honest, the Dolphins are picking a quarterback. So the Giants are going to get the same player at six that they were going to get at four. Yeah, so you love that for Dave Gettleman to finally go against his own tendencies and really see the value in a move like this. But, you know, this does kind of bring the conversation to Miami a bit now, right? Because so many people thought it was Tua, Tua, Tua for Miami. But the reality is, even in the last few weeks, there's been some rumblings that there's another quarterback that Miami could be just as happy with. And not have to pay picks to go up and get. But, Joe, we look at the rest of this first few picks – Everything else stayed on schedule. This was about what we were expecting to see the Bengals get their quarterback in Joe Burrow, Washington take best player available in Chase Young, and Detroit take corner Jeff Okuda from Ohio State to replace Darius Slay, who this offseason was traded to the Philadelphia Eagles. Yeah, so it was it held serve one through three. Um, nothing there that we didn't expect to see happen, and so – this draft started at four, and uh, now the, the the big dominoes are starting to fall, and, and the rest of this thing should be quite exciting. Did the Chargers steal the player the Dolphins wanted at five, or is their quarterback still on the board? And what will the Giants do after moving down to pick six? We'll find out coming up in the 2020 Locked On NFL Mock Draft. Matt, this is a lot of fun. I love the trade action. It really adds to the intrigue, uh, seeing teams go get their guys. And I think it's a a scenario that we're going to see happen with the real thing. Go get your quarterback. How teams view the quarterbacks will be key because we're hearing a lot of leaks from a lot of places about how teams feel about these quarterbacks. And I don't really know what to believe. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I mean, Tua with the medicals and all those things and not being able to give them your building is an interesting situation where Herbert seems like he was just gaining steam left and right, tearing up the senior bowl, tearing up the combine while everyone else was kind of sitting on their hands. And obviously a guy like Justin Herbert is always going to shine this time of year, you know, leading up to the draft process with, without pass rushers and scheme, all those things, you know, just out there looking good, throwing a football and interviewing. So it is always very interesting um, I have mixed feelings about you know what Miami would do here. It, you would think it would be Herbert. Leave this this with the quarterback, but if they don't love him, don't force it. And maybe you get in the Lawrence or you know someone else will sweepstake down the road or call Cam Newton or whatever. So I don't know that it's a slam dunk if it fell this way. The Dolphins would still go quarterback. And how far would the quarterbacks fall if Miami wouldn't pull the trigger here? I think that's an interesting situation. And Justin Herbert is that third quarterback, the consensus third quarterback in this draft. Are the Dolphins in love with Herbert, knowing he might fall to them at five? Do you think the the Dolphins said, well, look, we like them all so close. I mean, could you not have enough conviction over any of these quarterbacks to let them fall, even if Herbert was your guy? Are you that sure that he's the one that's going to follow you if you like him? Could you really be 
in a front office saying to yourself, you know what, I don't care which quarterback falls to me at five, I'll just draft the leftovers. That doesn't seem right. I wonder if there's a possibility that maybe they didn't like any of the quarterbacks. Maybe they like Burrow, couldn't get up to number one to get him. Maybe they don't like any of the quarterbacks and they're going to go another direction here at five. Right. I mean, I think it's easy for us to say, well, you'll get one of the three quarterbacks and great, you're fine. Or even like with the Giants, you'll you'll get one of the tackles or, you know, the Browns coming up at 10. Well, they'll get one of the tackles and they'll be happy. And tackles, obviously, a lot different than quarterback. But in a way, with quarterback, it's kind of like saying, I'll get one of these three wives to live the rest of my life with. Like, no, you have a preference. <laughs> Let's go to the Miami Dolphins draft room. Pick number five. The pick is in. He's a draft dude. He's also the host of Locked On Dolphins, Kyle Krabs. Let's find out who the Dolphins will be married to. With the fifth overall pick, the Miami Dolphins select Oregon quarterback Justin Herbert in a move that is a bit surprising, but the Los Angeles Chargers did force the Miami Dolphins' hands with the trade up with the New York Giants. The Dolphins entering the draft have the mindset of wanting to keep as much of their NFL draft capital as possible. There have been multiple reports that the Dolphins have high grades on up to three quarterbacks, including Tua and Justin Herbert. So the chance to stay put at five, once Washington and Detroit win defense, it became apparent the Dolphins, okay, we're going to stay put. We're guaranteed to get one of the two quarterbacks that we have a very high grade on. Obviously, franchise quarterback, quarterback of the future is a big need for the Miami Dolphins. That was the entire purpose of this 2019 rebuilding season for the Dolphins is if Miami's rebuild goes according to plan, they're not going to be a position to draft quarterback highly again in quite some time. So make the most of this opportunity. Make sure you get a franchise quarterback. They did that. He will probably start by the end of 2020, Justin Herbert. But with veteran quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick there as somebody for for Justin Herbert to learn from and be eased into a starting role, this is a logical move for the Dolphins and a guy that probably needs a little bit of patience but has all the physical tools. If you look at the top three quarterbacks, Justin Herbert has the best raw physical skill set of any of the top three quarterbacks in this year's NFL draft. And to stay put at five and get him and not have to worry about the medical questions of Tua Tunga Valoa is a big win for Miami in knowing that this positioning to get a quarterback is going to pay off with a quarterback that may or may not work out. But at the very least, you can expect him to be on the field and get the reps necessary to develop whereas Tua's medical questions serve as a big roadblock for the Dolphins to have to clear, the Chargers took them out of that conflict and in doing so uh, allowed the Dolphins to draft the best available quarterback, one of the three quarterbacks they do have a very high grade on. His level of play has been compared to Ryan Tannehill. Uh, He's somewhere on this Carson Wentz to Ryan Tannehill spectrum. If he's closer to Carson Wentz, it's a big win. If he comes closer to Ryan Tannehill, then the pressure is on the Dolphins to learn from their mistakes of the Ryan Tannehill era and surround him with a viable running game, good offensive line, and change your style of play and not try to make him something that he is not. But Justin Herbert has all the tools, should be a potential franchise quarterback for the Miami Dolphins for the next several years. They make the most of this chance in drafting inside the top five. Hello, football fans. 
My name is Jordan Long, host of Locked on Ducks, and I'm here to talk about Oregon Ducks quarterback Justin Herbert. You might be surprised he was only a three-star recruit coming out of high school. He started playing football as a junior and broke his leg in the third game of that season, but he did come back to play a full senior season, racking up over 3,100 yards, 37 touchdowns, and with no interceptions in 543 yards, he had 10 rushing touchdowns. He only got offers from Montana State, Northern Arizona, and my alma mater, Portland State University, before his uncle got him a visit at University of Washington. When the Ducks heard that, they swooped in, gave Justin Herbert a workout, and the rest, as they say, is history. Now, Oregon was coming off the heels of three years of Marcus Mariota and a year of Vernon Adams, so it's pretty big shoes to fill. And not only that, he played for three different coaches under three different schemes during that time. Nevertheless, he racked up 10,541 yards, which is good for second all-time at Oregon, just a few hundred yards behind Marcus Mariota. He's also second all-time, yes, behind Marcus Mariota, in career touchdowns with 95, and first all-time at Oregon in a single game with passing yards of 489. He had three rushing touchdowns in the Rose Bowl, which put to bed this notion that he was not a legit dual threat. He was also Senior Bowl Practice Week MVP and Senior Bowl Offensive MVP, which catapulted him not only in the national spotlight, but from a late first rounder to a top 10 uh, quarterback draft prospect. He's only 22 years old, which is relatively young. He's smart, prototypical size. He's six foot six. 237 pounds, but exceptionally athletic. His arm strength is phenomenal. His deep ball accuracy is spot on. He has poise under pressure. He uses his legs and athleticism to extend plays, which leads me to talk about his, one of some of his weaknesses, which is a first-read quarterback. Now, his pro comparison, Carson Wentz, is kind of the same way, right? He uses that uh, extension of the play to wait for his first and second reads to get open rather than using the extension to check down or even throw it away if need be. There has been some interpretation of his quiet demeanor as lacking confidence, but I'll say there's a difference between arrogance and confidence, and Justin Herbert is one of the most confident quarterbacks I have ever seen. Will he succeed in the NFL? Absolutely, especially in a situation where he has a year of tutelage behind a veteran. I mean, he might have a Mahomes-type breakout year in 2021. This is Jordan Long of Locked on Ducks, your daily one-stop shop for info, updates, and analysis on your Oregon Ducks football and basketball. And there we go. Justin Herbert, quarterback from Oregon, is off the board. The top three consensus quarterbacks have now been selected, maybe not as we thought in the exact team order as how this thing went down, but the player order, I think most people have it. Burrow went one to the Bengals, Tua to the Chargers who traded up, and then number five overall, the Miami Dolphins select Justin Herbert. How do you like the fits here? I have no problem with it. There's tons of ability here. I'm not going to be critical of going for a quarterback. That's a franchise-changing move. There's tons of ability there. Chan Gailey is now the offensive coordinator in Miami. I mean, is this exactly what he's looking for? I mean, I thought originally they would be very Patriot-oriented in terms of Brady, quick hitters, come to the line of scrimmage, get it out quick. And that really isn't Herbert, but I do trust this organization. And I think a lot of people, and maybe me in the end, so I'm not going to talk out both sides of my mouth, if the Dolphins wouldn't leave this draft with a top quarterback, or a potential franchise quarterback, it's not a good look, you know, and it's not exactly what you want to show your fan base after tanking. And Herbert's talent-wise is very worthy of this pick. 
you probably don't have a chance to go up. Even with all the picks the Dolphins have, who knows if they offered or what they would have offered if they loved Burrow and maybe tried to throw a godfather offer at him to try to go up to number one and draft Joe Burrow. Maybe they could have got there. Maybe they couldn't. But I'm sitting here looking at Tua that they allowed the Chargers to go up and get Tua. So you had to feel very comfortable that you liked Herbert more and that he would be there because with all the picks the Dolphins have, it took a second and a future third to go up and get your quarterback. If Tua ends up being the better quarterback, Dolphins fans will be carrying pitchforks. Yeah, I mean, it'll feel a little bit like moving up for Trubisky. I mean, they had all the cards in their hand. If they do love Tua, and we probably will never know this, and they don't get him, shame on you. I mean, if that means moving to two and blowing the Redskins' doors off, and then when Young goes, moving up to three, and if that means even giving your early second or late, late first or whatever, then shame on you. If you really do love Tua noticeably more than Herbert, you had every asset to go make it happen. So if that's what you love and you don't do it, well, you very well could regret it and you should be you know, under fire. I want to talk a little bit more about these quarterbacks as we await for the sixth selection in the Locked On NFL mock draft. The New York Giants, who moved back from four to six, are on the clock here. Isaiah Simmons still on the board. All four of the elite offensive tackles in this class are on the board. Will they go in those directions? Will they go elsewhere? While we await the Giants selection, one more note on the quarterbacks. What are we talking about, really, with Joe Burrow, Tua Tagovailoa, and Justin Herbert tools-wise. It would seem that Herbert is the toolsy guy. You're betting on upside if you're the Miami Dolphins selecting Justin Herbert. Where does Joe Burrow and Tua, where do they match up with Herbert as far as just raw tools? They're both much more comfortable, much better in the pocket. And not that Herbert's bad. It's Burrow's elite in terms of his footwork. Tua is a really good athlete within the confines of the pocket, his base. They're both way more accurate than Herbert. I mean, they're scary accurate, and Burroughs may be the most accurate prospect I've ever seen, and two is not far off. I mean, ball placement, not just completion percentage, but exactly where they drop the football. You get the feeling, and I don't know these three young men, and it doesn't. It sounds bad about Herbert. I don't mean it that way that Burrow has a much better understanding and feel for the game, and with all the empty area of you know only five man protection schemes LSU used that just shows that he's in total command and knows where the pass rush is coming and where his best outlet is and that's advanced quarterbacking where Tua you know they had extreme talent not that Burrow didn't but I mean the receivers Tua had this crazy heavy RPOs and even like in Oregon I don't think his scheme helped them a lot. They didn't throw deep all that much. So I sometimes look at Herbert and think, what if you took Jalen Hurts and put him in Oregon and Herbert and put him in Oklahoma? Or what if Herbert was in Bama last year? It would have been even better. Oh, <laughs> you wow. know what I mean? Yeah. No, I get what you mean there. And, and that's another part of evaluation, especially with college offenses and how much teams are spreading it out. It does make those evaluations a tick easier if you're seeing a team run a little bit more of a pro-style offense than if you're seeing a team spread things out. It's more difficult to scout Oregon or scout, say, Oklahoma than it is to scout a team like Iowa that runs a more pro-style system or even Alabama who runs a little bit more pro-style system. You get to see the, the wide receivers run pro routes. You get to see a quarterback work a little bit more like they will 
in the NFL. So when you see somebody go off like LSU's quarterback who had an offensive coordinator who had some NFL pedigree and is now back in the NFL, I think that just makes the evaluation a little bit easier. And with the season Joe Burrow put up, it's like, look, maybe in a perfect world, you'd say, I wish I had a little bit bigger arm. But with what we saw him do, the command he had of the LSU offense, working with a, a coach that is now coaching in the NFL and coordinating an NFL offense and had come from the NFL, is pretty much a slam dunk there, number one for Joe Burrow. As as great as Tua looked in his college career and as high as he was ranked coming into the season as the consensus number one overall guy, I can see why Burrow would be that guy for the Bengals. And then Justin Herbert, so toolsy, and we've seen some guys that, weren't sure about and they had all the tools become great NFL quarterbacks but we've seen a lot bust so I I think that the order was correct my big question now is did the Dolphins get the right guy did they allow the more talented physically guy to fall to them and then they can develop it and have more picks to go around him or did they miss out and trying to go up and get somebody you don't want to settle we are in the final selection of today's episode of the Locked On NFL Mock Draft Special. It is the New York Giants who moved back from four to six. They are on the clock. Let's go to the New York Giants War Room. What's up, everyone? This is Patricia Trainer. I am the host of Locked On Giants. And with the sixth overall pick in the draft, the Giants selected offensive tackle Tristan Wirfs of Iowa. Now, the Giants, of course, need help on their offensive line, and they need offensive tackles. Even though they signed Cam Fleming from the Dallas Cowboys to provide some depth at the position, Nate Solder is getting up there in age. He's probably in the last year with the Giants, even though he has two more years left on his contract. It's time to start building up that offensive line, putting some better protection in front of quarterback Daniel Jones. Offensive tackle Tristan Wirfs from the University of Iowa is going to be a phenomenal player at the next level. While at the University of Iowa, he became the first player in the Kirk Ferentz era to start at either tackle position as a freshman. And from there, the expectations only rose. He became a three-year starter, Remington Pace, Big Ten Offensive Lineman of the Year, an All-American, and a finalist for the Outland Trophy um, as a true junior. He is a guy who is just glowing with potential, but also has the refinement that you don't see in some of the other top tackles in the class, such as Mekhi Becton. Werfs is a guy who has a high floor and a high ceiling, which is not something you see quite often coming from offensive linemen at the college level. He has great technique, and he is an absolute athletic freak. Recently named to the top freaks list prior to the start of the college football season, he performed outstandingly at the NFL Combine, setting multiple records and putting together a Combine profile that actually looks more like a tight end than a 320-pound 6'5 offensive tackle. He ran a 4.85 40-yard dash, jumped a 36.5 inches, ran a 7.653 cone drill, and broad jumped 121 inches. The one concern that people had about Tristan Wirfs coming out of Iowa was his arm length and whether or not he had the size to actually play tackle at the next level. His arm length checked in at 34 inches, which was good enough to meet that tackle threshold. In addition to his fantastic combine testing, I believe there is no concerns at this point about Tristan Wirfs' athleticism. 
The other big concern that kind of comes up from time to time is whether or not Tristan Wirfs can actually play the left tackle position, um, typically seen as the uh, premier tackle position out of the two. The thing is that Iowa, as a tackle, Alaric Jackson was on the left side. He felt more comfortable there, where Tristan Wirfs could play on both. So Iowa decided to put him at the right tackle position. But when Jackson went down, Tristan Wirfs was able to play both the left tackle and right tackle position and alternate between the two throughout the game, which is even more impressive than just playing one or the other at one point throughout the season. So Tristan Wirfs is a guy who I think um, has all the talent in the world and the work ethic to succeed the next level after setting multiple records in Iowa and weightlifting. He has a good head on his shoulders and the talent to match it. This is Andrew Wade of the Locked On Hawkeyes podcast, your source for Iowa Hawkeye content every day. We have an offensive tackle off the board now, and it is Tristan Wirfs from Iowa, the, the combine darling. He set the combine world abuzz with his workouts playing on the right side at Iowa Matt, was this your top offensive tackle? How do you like the fit here with Wirfs in New York? I got no qualms with it at all. I mean, you plug him in at right tackle. I do think that he has a little bit of Brandon Schreff in him where he might be one of the absolute best guards in the league if in, in an ideal world, that's where he would go. But I also think he's highly athletic and runs so well that he can handle tackle without question. Was he my favorite Probably not. I probably would say Wills. I, I, I'm not positive on that as this stands, but that that top group is all really, really strong. If I were to put a chip down of who the Giants draft, if it is a tackle, I would bet it is Beckton, just because their love of huge people in that organization. But I'm not critical at all of Wirfs, and I think you really need to make Daniel Jones as comfortable as possible. You're married to him. Uh, you want to get Barkley back going. Solder on the left side is a problem. So maybe you really need two tackles when it's all said and done over the next year or two. So this is a great start. I'm glad you brought up Daniel Jones because the Giants here going with an offensive tackle in Tristan Wirfs at number six. They passed up one of the blue chip defenders in this draft, linebacker Isaiah Simmons, who is still on the board. And I, I think you got to help out your quarterback. You got to protect him. You don't want him to get killed, and you want to give him some weapons in the passing game. So, if you're helping out your young quarterback that you just drafted, by the way, number six overall last year, going with an offensive tackle, helping that out while also helping out the run game, helping out Saquon Barkley, who is also going to make life easier for Daniel Jones. That makes some sense for the Giants here. It was their number one need? They still got to move down, add some picks, and get their first choice of offensive tackles in this draft, which was Tristan Wirfs. And as far as the tackle prospects in this class, Wirfs and Becton have the highest upside. They also have the highest bust potential, but Wirfs has that extra bit of a, a parachute where he could still be a pro bowl guard, even if you don't like him at tackle on the edge and he doesn't develop a little bit more technique wise and doesn't become as sound as you want him to be as a stud offensive tackle. He'll be a fantastic guard. I don't know if you can say the same about Becton, and maybe that was the tiebreaker for the Giants here. Right. I mean, he's kind of a foolproof prospect. Um, as we mentioned earlier, Tua and Herbert are the two that went off the board, so the Giants really just got a gift and got some extra picks in this situation. Still got the guy they obviously would have taken at four, and now you're sitting pretty with more flexibility to move up later or help in other ways, and I would never give an organization a hard time for 
going out of the way to help their young quarterback. In fact, it's something I'm often very critical of teams for is you, you, you know, you get so invested in this young guy and you love him, and then you never help him once he gets there. Absolutely. Help out your young quarterback, Trevor Sikama and Benjamin Solak standing by hosts of locked on NFL draft to break down the first six picks in this mock draft. Ben, I know that five comes before six. I know math well enough to know that, but we got to start by talking about the number six pick. The Giants went Tristan Wirfs, but they got here because they traded back with the Los Angeles Chargers. Not a very Dave Gettleman move, but Dave Gettleman's not in control here in this mock draft. Right, and I think that you know Gettleman made it clear at the Combine that at least vocally he's saying, hey, we're open for business. We're taking all trade back offers. Now, whether or not there's veracity to that or if it's just coach speak, we're going to find out come April. But the Giants are in a really good position to trade back. They have big-time needs at offensive tackle. They're going to have a, 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 at max four, but probably multiple offensive tackles who they'll like yeah. to draft in the top ten. And then, of course, the wild card Isaiah Simmons, who could be big for their linebacking core, which is desperately in need of a cover defender. So there could be three upwards of four players they feel comfortable drafting in the top ten. And if that's the case at four, of course you want to trade back. In this case, you grab 37th overall, so an extra pick in the top of the second round, and the 2021 third round pick yeah. to get a guy you would have drafted at four anyway. So this is, if they get Gentleman's ever going to trade up, Trev? This is the sort of circumstance under which you do it. No, I, I think you're right. And Tristan Wirfs, the first offensive tackle. You and I talked about who would be the first offensive tackle before the show began. It ends up being Tristan Wirfs. But we got to talk about number five, too, because there's been some rumblings that the Miami Dolphins really like Justin Herbert. Here they get him, albeit because two is not on the board. You think they're comfortable enough with Herbert? You think they're, they, they, they're, they would like him enough to stay here at number five? I honestly believe that Chris Greer's ideal world is him drumming up enough Tua interest that somebody else trades up in front of him and takes Tua so he can just take Herbert Hoogie. That's who he's wanted all along. That's my belief. So to me, this would be an ideal play out for Miami. Oh, okay. I could see that. little manipulation during the draft. I like that. Well, first six picks down. We got pick number seven coming up next podcast. Very excited about that one. Stick around, everybody. There you have it, Matt. Day one. In the books, picks one through six are done. Joe Burrow goes number one to the Cincinnati Bengals. Defensive end Chase Young from Ohio State, two to the Washington Redskins. The Detroit Lions select cornerback from Ohio State, Jeffrey Okuda, number three. The Los Angeles Chargers move up from six to number four with the New York Giants. They select quarterback Tua Tagovailoa out of Alabama. The Miami Dolphins take Justin Herbert, quarterback from Oregon, the third quarterback in the top five here. And then number six overall, the New York Giants, after moving down a couple of spots, take the first offensive tackle, Tristan Wirfs from Iowa. Any takeaways from day one here on the Locked On NFL mock draft, Matt? It would almost be more of a surprise if there are no trades, right, in the first six picks. Do you give the Dolphins credit for the guts to allow the draft to fall to them and utilize all of their draft picks and just bring in more talent and more players and more competition for their roster? Or do you credit the Chargers to have the guts to actually move up and go with conviction to get their guy while giving up some picks and making it a little bit more difficult to help that quarterback. I definitely credit the chargers, especially where they are as an organization, the city they're in the needing to have a face of the franchise. So I give them all the credit in the world, but that isn't to say that Miami was wrong either. You know, I mean, I prefer to, uh, 
if they're unsure or if medicals were, you know, something that was a sticking point for them, then sometimes the moves you don't make are the best moves. For those of you listening to this mock draft special on your team-specific podcast, head on over to Locked On NFL. We'll be back Monday throughout all of next week, finishing up the first round and beyond of this mock draft. Pick number seven, the Carolina Panthers are on the clock. There are still a number of blue-chip players left on the board. Teams talking trade. It continues Monday right here, Locked On NFL.